Okay, thank you so much. It's encouraging to see some changes happening finally. <laughs> Amen. Okay, um, if you are joining us for the first time, we welcome you. Um, and before we get into the message, we don't normally do this, but we are going to take a moment uh, to remember a precious sister in our church who actually passed away. So uh, she was a member of our church for years. Um, she was a personal friend of mine for 25 years. I met her when I was barely a, a man. <laughs> You're like, are you still a man now? <laughs> but I was, I was barely out of college, or barely in college, I should say, barely out of high school, and I met her. Uh, but her name is Joni Taylor Mitchell, and she passed away a few months ago, just two months ago. And so um, I just wanted to take a brief moment to just remember her in silence, and there are going to be some images uh, just shown from the memorial service we had yesterday. It was a wonderful time, a small gathering, and then I want to just uh, say a prayer for the family. Amen. So Sister Joni, she loved the Lord, and she had a persevering faith. If there's nothing else I remember about her, that is what I know, is that she had a faith in Jesus that could not be shaken, and I know she's with the Lord now. Uh, and she did not have an easy life. She had a very hard life, uh, suffered many things, and yet she still held on because Jesus held on to her. Amen. And so I want to say a prayer for her, their family. Uh, several of their family members are over here, um, precious people, but let me pray for them. So, Lord God, we do want to remember and honor the life of your servant, Sister Joni. And she had a little card that said, Evangelist Joni Taylor Mitchell. And she truly was an evangelist. She truly had a passion for sharing the gospel with those who did not know you, especially among the least, ministering on Skid Row in L.A. for years, feeding the homeless, preaching the gospel, just spreading your word as far and as wide as possible. And Father God, you held her to the very end, even through all the trials, all the sufferings, all the things she went through, you were with her. And now, Lord, you brought her into eternal glory. And so we worship you for that. And there's no need to pray for those who are perfected now in glory. So we pray for her family who are grieving, who are still working through the loss of a loved one. And so I pray for them. And I pray that if there is anybody among them who don't know you, that you would reveal yourself to them and that they would also worship the same God that Sister Joni worshipped, you, the living God, that they would know you as well. So Lord God, please use this opportunity of her passing to reveal yourself to them and bring new life, to bring faith. So we thank you, we give you all the glory, and we can't wait for those of us who are in you. We can't wait to see her again in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise God. Okay, open up your Bibles to Matthew 4.19 and then Matthew 28.18-20. And we're going to get right into the Word of God. So Matthew 4.19 and then Matthew 28.18. And then if you're joining us here, it'll be behind me on the screen. If you're joining us online, it'll be on the screen at your uh, home, whatever you're watching us on. This is God's Word, Matthew 4.19. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In the Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory and we thank you so much, God, that you are an awesome God who not only lived, but you died for our sins, you rose again, and then you commissioned us to go now and spread this good news that we can now be forgiven and have eternal life in you to go spread that news as far and as wide as possible, to go and make disciples of all nations. So Lord God, we thank you for this calling and this incredible privilege to be a part of your kingdom work. So Lord God, let our church not miss it, so many Christians miss it entirely, but help us to hear and to receive, Lord, your commission. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, praise God. Well, today we're going to be wrapping up our little mini-series on Be the Church, which also happens to be the theme of this year. Every year we have a year theme. 
It is be the church. And we're not going to be wrapping up the entire theme today, uh, just the series. We're going to be focusing on this theme throughout the entire year. In fact, I'm excited, but next week we're going to start a whole new series on spiritual gifts. So please come back for that. Uh, But we're going to be looking at the vital way God organizes and builds up his church. is through us discovering and exercising our gifts, spiritual gifts. So anyway, we're going to continue that focus on being the church. But today, I do want to wrap up this series on what is the church? So we've looked at the uniqueness of the church. We looked at the three different marks of a true church. What are they? Devotion to Christ and his word. Devotion to one another. And then devotion to being witnesses to the law. So we looked at these three marks. And then last week, we began looking at the core mission of the church. So we looked at the uniqueness, then the marks, and then we started looking at the mission of the church. Now, some of you guys may be wondering, okay, what's the difference between the marks and the mission of the church? Because when you covered the marks, you talked about a lot of things we got to do, right? Like worship Jesus and evangelize and love one another, serve each other. So what is the difference between that and the mission of the church? Well, the marks of a church have to do with who we are. Okay? It has to do with our qualities, our characteristics, and the mission of the church has to do with what we do, right? So that's pretty clear. Is who we are versus what we do. You know, last week I talked about Toyota, but Toyota is a fabulous, is a great car company. If you were to go to my house on any given day, you will see two, three Toyota cars parked in our driveway. So clearly we like those cars. And Toyota is marked by excellence and innovation, but that is not what they do, right? They don't do excellence. They're excellent, but that's not what they do. Okay, what do they do? They make cars, right? So that's what they do. And in the same way, there's something that the church does. Okay, a lot of Christians don't realize that, but churches actually do something. Here's another way to say it. Toyota makes cars. The church makes disciples. Amen? Amen. And I think that's a far more important job than making cars. I love cars. I don't, I don't really love cars, actually. <laughs> cars are great. But we are called to make disciples. So that is the core mission of the church. And whatever else we do, we must always be about that. If we succeed at everything else, okay, bigger numbers, bigger budget, bigger influence, if we even raise the dead back to life, but if we fail at that, that then we have failed. We have failed. So as we are devoted to Christ, one another, and being witnesses, we got to be about this. No matter what we're doing, we're always focused on making disciples. That is our mission. And when you look at the Bible, Jesus really highlighted this. So it's kind of really a you know, mystery why people miss it so often. But Jesus highlighted it in red. Then he bold-faced it and he underlined it. Okay, what do I mean? Well, when you look at Jesus' ministry, there were a lot of commands he gave before he died and rose again, right? He talked about a lot of things. You need to pray, don't be anxious, love one another, follow me, do a lot of things, but there's only one thing he commanded after he died and rose again. What was it? He said, go make disciples. Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So do you see that? This command was given after he died and rose again, and that's all he gave. A lot of commands before, only one after. Go and make disciples of all nations. So look at the premium place that Jesus gave to the Great Commission. He didn't dare speak it before he was given all authority in heaven and on earth. He only gave it after he had all authority. Look at also the sweeping nature of the Great Commission. This is total But he said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you always. Do you see that? He said, all, all, all. Why? Because it's all important. This is total. And then finally, I want you to notice one more thing. But in the Greek, the Great Commission contains only one command. When you read in the English, you're thinking, okay, there's a bunch of stuff Jesus is telling us to do. But that's not true. In the Greek, there's only one command. And all the other verbs, they're I-N-G words. They're modifying the one command. 
So he only commands us to do one thing. Make disciples. How? By going, baptizing, teaching, all that I've commanded you. But there's only one thing I want you to do. Go make disciples. Make disciples. So Jesus couldn't be clearer. He highlighted this. He bold-faced it, underlined it. And by the way, one more thing. It's repeated five times in the New Testament. A lot of times people don't realize that. They only think it's in Matthew 28. But it's actually in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. There are variations in all five of those books. So in other words, God does not want us to miss it. He did not want his church to miss it. You know, two weeks ago, my little nephew celebrated his first birthday. He's so cute. And my wife bought him a birthday card. And it was one of those cards where every time you open it, like a song begins to play, one of those big fat cards with the little chip inside. And so every time we would open it to try to write something in it, like you couldn't miss it, right? Somebody somewhere knew that that car was open because it started singing. And it's kind of like that with the Great Commission. But God didn't want us to miss it. But every time we open our Bibles to one of these great commissions, there's five of them, right? Five times is mentioned. A loud voice should begin to say in your head, don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss it. And then what do churches today do? They miss it. (laughs) They miss it. They're doing everything but that, right? It says in Mark 7, 34, Jesus looked up to heaven and sighed. Let's not make Jesus sigh, amen? Let's not miss it. So making disciples, that is the core mission of the church. Okay, no matter what we're doing, we need to do that. But why? Okay, what, why do we need to make disciples? Okay, what is it and then how? Okay, how do we do it? Last week, we began this message by talking about the why. Okay, why? Why why is this so important? Why did Jesus highlight it, boldface it, underline it? Why did he repeat it? Well, there are many reasons why. I covered five. I'm not going to go over them again. You can find it online. But I do want to remind us, discipleship to Jesus is the greatest opportunity in your life. No questions asked. So don't miss it. It is the greatest opportunity of your life. And so many Christians don't realize what's being offered to them. And even those who have accepted Jesus' call to be disciples, they don't fully realize what's being offered. It's kind of like Jesus' original 12 disciples. Yeah, they said yes, they started following, but they didn't realize fully what Jesus was offering them. So even today, a lot of believers don't fully realize what Jesus is calling them, inviting them to. Did you know that Jesus is more than just nice? A lot of us just think of Jesus as, oh yeah, he's just this nice person, right? He loves me. He kind of helps me out. But Jesus is so much more than that. But he is the greatest human being who ever lived. Get that clear in your mind. His life is the greatest life that ever was. If you don't understand that about Jesus, you don't even know the first thing about Jesus. He is the greatest human being who ever lived on this planet. No one has influenced life on this planet more for the highest good than Jesus Christ. And don't take my word for it. Listen to some of the greatest influential people throughout history. Okay, they recognized it, even though they weren't believers. Okay, let me just mention a few. Albert Einstein, he said, I'm a Jew, but I'm enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Jesus is too colossal for the pen of phrase mongers, however artful. He further added, no one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. Wow. Einstein was almost a believer. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. Uh, Theseus and other heroes of his type lack the authentic vitality of Jesus. Vincent van Gogh, the great artist. It is a very good thing that you read the Bible. The Bible is Christ, for the Old Testament leads up to this culminating point, Christ alone. I think van Gogh was a believer. He lived serenely as a greater artist than all other artists, despising marble and clay as well as color, working and living flesh. That is to say, this matchless artist made neither statues nor pictures nor books. He loudly proclaimed that he made living men immortals. Napoleon, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. But what foundation did we rest the creations of our genius? You can really hear Napoleon's humility there. (laughs) Upon force. We founded our empires upon force. But Jesus Christ founded an empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Gandhi, 
He said, a man who was completely innocent offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. Gandhi, who did so much for the world, he said, Jesus, what he did was a perfect act. Martin Luther King Jr., Jesus Christ was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness. I could go on. There's so many quotes from great men and women talking about who Jesus is. So all these people seem to all agree Jesus Christ is the greatest human being who have ever lived on the face of this planet. And of course, as the son of God, he is much more than just the greatest human being, but he's nothing less than that. We need to understand who Jesus is inviting, or who's inviting you, I should say. And so this Jesus of Nazareth is now calling you and calling me to follow him. Do you understand that? This is the greatest opportunity of your lifetime. Don't miss it. It is a real call. It is not a hypothetical call. What I mean is, unlike these other historical figures, I mean, they might have great teachings. You might follow their influence, their life. But they're not here, right? But Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is here. He is living. And he is calling you. And he will actually lead you and teach you and change you as you follow him. This is his offer. And we're going to look at that a little bit more later, what following Jesus means. But I want you to understand that, that this is the greatest opportunity in your life. Without a doubt, I don't even know all of you. I don't know what you're up to, what you're doing. But I already know this. You have no other opportunity in your life like the one in front of you right now. You have nothing. You have nothing better than this. This is, hands down, the greatest thing you have. doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing. So there are many reasons why we should be Jesus' disciple, least of all. This is the greatest opportunity. He is calling us to be much more than just a churchgoer, a cultural Christian in name, but be a follower of Christ. And for some of you, I I just say this very directly, but it's time for you to follow. (laughs) It's time for you to take that step. You've been sitting on that hillside listening to Jesus' teachings long enough. Okay, It is time to get up and follow him. Amen? Amen. It's time to get up, follow Jesus, the greatest human being who ever lived, the Son of God. But what is it, though? Okay, well, what is following Jesus? What am I supposed to do? Okay, well, we need to answer that. Because when people don't know what to do, they do nothing. Right? They do nothing. That's not what I said, but this pastor, Robbie Gallaty, said that. I mentioned him last week. But he's a man who went from drug addict to pastor to seminary professor. And he's dedicated his life to making disciples. But he said, when people don't know what to do, they do nothing. And I'm going to quote him a few more times today. So what that means is we need to understand. Okay, well, okay, follow Jesus. What is that? If you don't know what that means, you're not going to do it. So I want to help us a little bit today by looking at what is following Jesus. Okay, what is discipleship? And then I want to end by looking at how do we do it? Okay, how do we actually follow Jesus together? So those are the last two questions. We looked at why, now we're going to look at what and how today. So first, what is discipleship? What is discipleship? Well, the best definition of discipleship comes from Jesus himself. Okay, Jesus told us. Look at Matthew 4.19. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And right there in that simple little statement are the three parts to discipleship. The three key parts to Jesus' call to discipleship. First, there's follow me. Second, there's I will make you. And then third, there's fishers of men. Okay, so I I just want to look at this. But with these three parts, you get the basic picture of discipleship. You can understand what it is. So that first part is follow me. Okay, this is the first part of discipleship. And this has to do with the pattern of discipleship, the pattern. Okay, what do I mean? Well, discipleship is much more than taking a class. It is much more than simply learning new information, getting it into your head. It includes that but it's much more than that. Okay, here's another Robbie Gallaty quote. By the way, I'm not sure if he actually said these things or if he's quoting somebody else, but yeah, I heard it from him. But here's another quote. He said, discipleship is not a class you take, it's the course of your life. Okay, it's not a class you take, it's the course of your life. So what this means is discipleship affects the entirety of your life. Okay, the moment you say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Okay, you're going to start learning some things, but it goes way beyond that. It starts affect, affecting the course of your whole life. What I mean is, is being trained on how to live your life the way Jesus lived it. 
is learning how to have the overall character that Jesus had. Remember, again, he's the greatest person who ever lived. You're going to start becoming like him, the greatest person who ever lived. Now, maybe that sounds too out there, too big, too vague. Let me make it a little bit more concrete. Okay, most of you, you might not believe this, but most of you already know what discipleship is. Yes, you do. In a very narrow area of your life, you already know what it is. So, for example, if you got hired at a company for a specific role, and now on your first day you start it, they might have you take a class, right? you got to learn some things. But is that the end of your training? No. Okay, we all know that. Whatever you're doing, class is not it. Okay, that's just the beginning of it. But afterwards, the majority of your training happens when? As you get paired up with somebody a little bit more experienced who does the job that you're going to be doing a lot better, and then you start following that person. You start watching that person, right? You start doing the things that they do. It's called shadowing. When they say do that, you do it. When they say don't do that, you don't do it, right? So you imitate their behavior, their conduct. In other words, you're intentionally trying to shape the course of your life in that area to their life. That's discipleship. You already know what that is. Most of you have already experienced it. You know, uh, recently I, I thought of this, but I remember having a taste of that when I had my first job right after graduating from high school. But in the summer between high school and college, I got my first job at Jack in the Box. Okay, so I worked at Jack in the Box. Last week, we actually went to go see someone at his first job, somebody at our church. It was great to see him, you know, working and cleaning the windows and serving people. And he's working at a much cooler place than where I worked. But I got my first job at Jack in the Box, okay? So I got hired. I got handed my first uniform. I had a little hole in the front. It wasn't a good start, okay? But then they got me in. I went through a brief orientation. Okay, that barely got me going. But the majority of my training was when I got placed under my supervisor and I started following him. And my supervisor taught me how to make tacos. Okay, that was my first position at Jack in the Box. So literally, I just watched my supervisor, he had a lot more experience in making tacos than me. He started telling me what to do. I would do it. He'd say, don't do that. I wouldn't do that. I remember one time the drive through got so busy. I mean, we were just going crazy, right, making tacos. Tacos are just flying around. And I remember one just fell to the ground. And both me and my supervisor stared at it. And then he said, we don't have time to make another one. Send it through. And so I did, right? It just went right through. Please don't let that deter you from going to Jack in the Box. It is a great company. It is a fine company. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Okay, here's the point. Okay, that, I, I have other stories. But, okay, don't let that deter you. <laughs> but here's the point. I, I eat there all the time. Okay, the training I got at Jack in the Box was a form of discipleship. You already know what it is, brothers and sisters. I don't need to convince you. You already know what discipleship is. My supervisor said, follow me, and I will show you how to make tacos. And I said, amen, right? That is discipleship. Most of you have already experienced something like that in a narrow area of your life. So you already know what this is. It involves learning new information. Yes, that's part of it. And when you start learning something new, what has to happen? you got to give up your old way of thinking. You need to adopt a new way of thinking. What is that? That's repentance, metanoia. The Greek literally means start changing your mind. That's what that is. Oh, I'm following Jesus? He doesn't think the way I think. He doesn't do things the way I do. You're starting to change your thoughts on that. That's repentance. So it starts there, but it goes so much further. It's about adopting an entire new set of behaviors and denying old behaviors. It's about adopting a new set of life choices, denying yourself other old life choices. Many of you guys are in medicine. Isn't that exactly what your training is about? Okay, that's what your training is about. And it's not just limited to medicine, but anything that takes training and discipline, any field. Okay, this is what happens. All of that is discipleship. So again, discipleship, please don't misunderstand. It's not a class you take. It's the course of your life. So in one sense, Jesus' call to discipleship is not unique. Okay, it is not unique. There were many other rabbis in Jesus' day who called disciples to themselves. Okay, Jesus wasn't the only one. The Pharisees had their disciples. The Sadducees had their disciples. Even John the Baptist had his disciples. So when Jesus got on the scene and started calling disciples, that was nothing new. Okay, everybody knew what that was about. And lots of people were following lots of leaders, promising them to train them in a lot of different things, right? But here's what's different about Jesus. 
So Jesus' call was nothing different in one sense, but in another sense, it was radically new. And so here's what's new. He took what was fairly common and he took it to an extreme level. To an extreme level. What do I mean? He didn't just call people to his own teachings and his traditions. He had a lot of rabbis back then. That's what they did. He follow my teaching, my traditions. But he called people to himself. To himself. For Jesus, discipleship meant not only following his teachings, but to follow him at the most deep, intimate levels. He, Jesus called discipleship is always about following him as a person, the person, right? It's never less than following his teachings, but it goes way beyond that. So that's one, one difference. It's about following Jesus at the most intimate level. You know, when Jesus called his first disciples, they were not invited to leave everything in order to follow a set of teachings. Okay, even a mission, but it was to follow him, to follow him to be with him. That's what Jesus talked about. Come and be with me. Come and stay with me, Philip, Nathaniel. Okay, look look at where I'm staying. Eat the things I eat. Visit the people I visit. Be with me. Learn from me. Become like me at the deepest levels. Jesus said in John 15, abide in me and I in you. And then he said, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. You can't survive unless you're connected to Jesus at the deepest level. So that's different. Here's something else that's different. Jesus also took the cost of discipleship to the extreme. To the extreme. So back in that day, most disciples, if they answered the call to some other rabbi, they would have to give up maybe some of their time. They might even have to move out of their house for a little while and live in this, like, you know, synagogue or some school. So they would have to make some sacrifices. But Jesus took it to a whole nother level. It's not just your life or your comforts, but your life. Okay, your life, your very life, not just your time, I should say, but your very life. Listen to Luke 9, 23. Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so that's the cause. I want your life, Jesus said. You're going to know me at the most deep, intimate level, and I want your life. And for some, it's literally giving up your life, your physical life for Jesus. But for most people, it's going to be giving up your way of life day by day, the way you live day by day. You know, Franco Zeffirelli, he made a great movie called Jesus of Nazareth. And it's a little bit old school, but it's really good. And I remember there was this powerful scene in that movie. But Peter, this is after Peter met Jesus for the first time. And then he comes, uh, he goes across the Sea of Galilee. And then he gets out of the boat with Jesus. And this is his boat, right? And then in the movie, he pushes the boat away. And one of his partners is in the boat. And then as the boat begins to drift away into the fog, the, the, the man in the boat, he couldn't believe what's happening. He's like, Peter, are you really giving all of this up? And Peter, he just pushes the boat away. And as it sails into the fog, he turns around and follows Jesus. So Peter's answer is, yeah, I'm going to turn back on my life, the life I knew, and I'm going to follow Jesus. So that's what a disciple does. It is giving your very life to him. So this is what Jesus meant by follow me. This is the first part of discipleship. Follow me. Follow my way of life. Learn from me. Be with me at the most intimate level so that your life will look like my life. Your behaviors will look like my behaviors. Your character will begin to look like my character. But it's more than that. Jesus calling us to himself to actually know him at the deepest level. At the deepest level, so it's more than just becoming like him, it's actually becoming almost like one with him, one with him. So Jesus is the curriculum, he is the course, he's the course. So I took the most time on that because if you really understand what following me means, following Jesus means, then everything else will fall into place. But that's the first part. Here's the second part of discipleship, I will make you, I will make you. And this points to the goal of discipleship, the goal of discipleship, which is nothing less than your transformation. See, when Jesus calls people to follow him, he's going to change you. He's going to do something in your life and transform you. And what is he going to transform you into? A little version of him. We're going to become little Christ. You know, earlier I mentioned my nephew. He's so cute. But my parents and I, whenever we see pictures of him, we just crack up. We just bust up laughing because he looks exactly like my brother. 
Okay, my brother's not cute, but his son is very cute. But they look exactly alike, to me at least, they do. And so sometimes when my brother is holding uh, his son and I'm with him, I go, dude, Danny, you're holding yourself. And he goes, oh, shut up, man. But I always go, you're holding yourself. Because it looks like he's holding himself. But that is God's goal for us in discipleship. But when Jesus takes us after we die and go to be with him and he presents us to God the Father, you know what he's presenting? A little version of himself. That's what he's doing. He's literally presenting a little version of himself. That is the goal. And what is Jesus like? Well, he was somebody every single day he would wake up and he was intimate with God the Father. And he obeyed God the Father from the very heart, bottom of his heart. That's who he was. He was intimate with God the Father and he obeyed God the Father from the heart. Every single day, he was utterly submitted to God's will. That is Jesus. And because of that, he changed the world. Right, The most influential person who ever lived. He bore fruit that lasted. So that is what Jesus wants to make us into. Little Christ. People who are intimate with God the Father and who obey him from the heart. This is what Jesus is inviting you to. You need to be clear on that. See, not everybody's going to say, yeah. In the Gospels, Jesus invited many people. Only a few said yes. Same here. I pray everybody will, but maybe not everybody will. But you need to understand if you say yes, what you're saying yes to. So Jesus is saying, follow me. Follow my course of life at the deepest levels. I'm going to make you into a spitting image of who I am. And remember, this was no slouch. We're talking about the greatest person who ever lived. He will transform you from the inside out, starting with your mind, down to your heart, and then to your fingertips. He will transform you to be like him. And this brings us to the third part of discipleship, fishers of men. Jesus said, follow me. I will make you, I'm going to transform you into fishers of men. And that's what he was. And becoming fishers of men, that points to a transformation of our abilities, right? This is talking about skill, our hands. So discipleship, it is a course of life. It is a change in who you are, but it's also an acquiring of some skills. So it's very practical. You're going to actually learn some things. You're going to become good at some things. Remember, discipleship at Jack in the Box. (laughs) I became actually skilled at something. I, I became really good at making tacos, you know? I was really good. But you're going to actually learn how to do certain things. And the first disciples were called to become fishers of men. See, when Jesus said that, it was really amazing because he was talking to professional fishermen. These are hardened fishermen. Their whole lives are on the open sea fishing for a living. So they knew fishing through and through. But Jesus said, you know what? What you do for a living, I'm going to change that, and you're going to learn something new. You're going to fish for people. You're going to fish for people. You're going to catch people with the gospel and turn them into my disciples. I'm going to teach you how to do that. So that's the same skill that Jesus had in himself and what he wants to give to us. See, see, we're going to learn some things. He wants to give us the skill to make disciples as we go baptizing, teaching. So what this means is the Christian life is very practical. So a lot of believers, they don't really understand what discipleship is, and they also don't realize how practical it is. It's very practical, but there are goals. Yes, ultimately, our goal is to worship God, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. But practically, day by day, there are some goals God has. It's very, very concrete. And yet, many Christians don't seem to understand that. Again, when people don't know what to do, they do nothing. But there are goals that God wants you to know. He wants to develop certain skills in you. What is that? To learn how to catch people with the gospel and make disciples. How many of you guys have ever entered school? Okay, all of us, right? Most of us. Or started a new job. He started a new program. Okay, how many of you guys started that and had no idea what you had to do? Okay, don't raise your hand. Okay, if you stay quiet, nobody knows, right? But don't raise your hand. But most of us, we all know, right? When you enter a school or a business or start a business or a program, you know there are clear goals you have in mind. Well, it's the same thing with discipleship. Why would you, why would you think differently? When Jesus calls you to be his disciple, there are clear goals that he has in mind. I want you to become just like me and do the same things that I do. I want to teach you these skills. So it couldn't be more clear. He is calling us to be fishers of people. So many believers, they don't understand that there are concrete goals, but they think that their goal as a Christian is to just make it to church every Sunday. You know, if I do that, I'm good. Maybe read your Bible regularly. Okay, I I struggle to do that, but if I can do that, then I'm good. 
And they don't realize that there is something so much more God has. But there are concrete goals he wants in your life, which is to teach you to make disciples. To first be a disciple and then to go make disciples. So do you understand? These are the different parts of discipleship. So again, it's follow me. We're invited to come to Jesus and enter his training. You already know what this is. You already know what this is like in other areas of life. To be with him, to shadow him, to watch him. Okay, watch him in the Gospels. Look at the things he says and does. But watch him. Learn his way of life. Day by day, walk with him in prayer, walking with him by the Spirit. You're going to learn from him. Surrendering your way of thinking and acting. Yeah, I used to think this way, but now I think this way. I used to do things this way, but I do it this way. Again, jack-in-the-box tacos, right? I had to change the way I thought of making tacos. You learn new things. You think different things. So follow me. Second, I will make you. He will make you into little Christ. And then third, fishers of men. He will actually teach you a new, new skill. You're going to learn how to do something new that you didn't before. How to share the gospel and then make a new disciple. So that is what discipleship is, brothers and sisters. And so I want to close with this. This is going to be brief. But then how? Right? How do we do it then? How do we make disciples? Well, in order to answer this, we need to go back to Jesus. He was the master discipler. But when Jesus made disciples, he didn't just tell us how, or I mean what, but he showed us how. He showed us how. So how did Jesus make disciples? Well, he had clear steps, and he had a clear context. And I'm going to be very brief here. But he had clear steps, and he had a clear context. So let me briefly go over steps. He had clear steps. If you look on the screen here, you're going to see a a chart. This is a chart that comes up very often in our church. If you come to membership class, you'll see it. Is there a chart? I think there's a chart. No? There it is. Okay, so these are the steps of discipleship at our church, and they come straight from Jesus' own ministry, because Jesus has steps. But first, he called people to come and see, John 139. And by the way, this comes up chronologically in his ministry. If you were to put all the different things he did in his ministry chronologically, they come up chronologically. First, he called people to come and see, to come and belong, right? Come and belong. Belong to my cause. Belong to me eventually. But belong. So come and see. And then secondly, he called them to grow, which was follow me. This happened a little bit after he said come and see. Then he started telling them follow me. This was the call to grow. And then third, eventually a little bit later, he said I will make you fishers of men. We looked at that. I'm focusing on that last part, fishers of men. But this is the call to minister. You're going to start doing something now. I'm going to teach you how to do something to be a fisher of men, women, and children. So be a minister. And then finally, at the end of his ministry, he called them to multiply. Before he died and went to heaven, he said, go and bear fruit, John 15. Go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. So do you see that? There's a clear progression in Jesus' ministry. He took a small group of men, And then women also joined later, but he took them through these steps until they were little Christ. They acted like him, they spoke like him, they did the things he did. So this is the clear progression. And in the middle there, I put gospel because the gospel is what enables you to do it. It's not your own efforts, it's not your own strength. Oh, I'm going to do it, I'm going to will myself to go through. No, it's as you believe in the gospel day by day, as you completely Yield yourself to Jesus' gospel, then you're going to become empowered to do these things. Belong, grow, minister, multiply. So is that clear? And in our church, there are actually uh, different groups that meet, discipleship groups, and we take people through these steps. And there's different curriculum for each one, but ultimately, is Jesus. He's the curriculum. But those are the steps of discipleship. But that's not all. Jesus also had a clear context. And we're going to close with this. But he had a clear context. And his context was intimate, communities where they actually met regularly together and these were closed communities you know john wesley he was the great preacher and revivalist in the 1700s i believe but he said disciples are made in community they're made in communities that's why god gave us communities so that we would become disciples and so jesus showed us that the best place to become a disciple is within small communities And this isn't like right now. This isn't like even community groups. We call those community groups, but it's not even there. And here's why. It's because the community that Jesus used to make disciples, it has certain qualities. Let me just mention them. They were closed, not open. Yes, Jesus invited anyone to come, but 
those who were going to be in the intimate inner circle, it wasn't just anybody. Jesus only called specific people. They were closed, not open. Second, they were gender specific, at least with Jesus and the 12, but they were all men. Jesus was a man. So they're gender specific. Women with women, men with men. They had high accountability. Jesus was constantly holding them accountable. To do what? To do the things he commanded. To do the things he taught. High accountability. Right here, right now, low accountability. Okay, you could be like on your phone right now watching like, I don't know, some football game, right? It doesn't matter. It's, it's very low accountability. But for discipleship groups, high accountability. Did you share your faith this week? Did you even think about sharing your faith this week? You know, those are questions that I've heard before. It's not only about did you do it? Did you even think about doing it? Did you even want to do it? So we're holding each other accountable. I remember I was in a discipleship group one time where every week we would meet together. Uh, we started out with four brothers, and then it came down to two because two of them got freaked out when we started doing this. But we said, all right, man, this is discipleship. What, what sins did you commit <laughs> this past week? Tell me, what sins did you commit? And I, I don't know why, but that person whoever asked never shared first. But anyway, it was like, what sin did you commit? And then I would share, and then that person would share. And then, but then that is high accountability. Fourth, obedience-based. Again, here in this meeting, I mean, you don't have to do anything. You could just listen to this. It could go in one ear, out the other, and no one's going to hold you accountable. But in discipleship groups, it is obedience-based. You know, I heard this powerful testimony, but one of the fastest-growing churches in the world is in Afghanistan. It might be the fastest-growing church, but it's the underground church in Afghanistan. And they're going through some terrible trials right now after the U.S. left. But it's an encouraging testimony of how fast the church grew in Afghanistan, but it was led mostly by teenagers and 20-something-year-olds, and a lot of them were women. But the encouraging thing about that church, the, the underground church in Afghanistan, is that they were making disciples like crazy. They were just being churned out. And one of the missionaries who worked there for years was asked, how did you guys do that? How did you guys make so many disciples? And this is what he said. He said, whenever somebody gets converted and they're invited into discipleship, it is obedience-based. Because you don't just learn something. You don't just read a book and it's in one year, out the other. It's like, if you learn something, did you do it? Are you doing it? Let's go do it. It's always about obedience. And not to earn God's favor. It's not in their own strength. They're relying on the Spirit. But it is obedience-based. And because of that, the church caught on fire. It's the fastest growing church in the world right now. Afghanistan. Look it up. Obedience-based. And then fifth, the fifth quality is they multiply. They multiply. So these are discipleship groups. Jesus said, go and bear fruit. Go and multiply, right? Make disciples. And they did. So that is the context. So we invite anybody and everybody at our church. You know, today is a little bit of a, a little bit more informational. Um, but we have discipleship groups in our church. Sometimes we have more. Sometimes we have less. But please consider joining one. Okay, these are, this is the context where disciples are made. So they're closed, not open. They're gender-specific high accountability, obedience-based, and they're, they're meant to multiply. So discipleship to Jesus, is it worth it? Well, that's up for you to answer. You know, G.K. Chesterton, he was a great Christian philosopher, writer, but he said anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Amen? <laughs> anything worth doing is worth doing badly. And here at The Promise, we don't do it perfectly. We try to make disciples. Sometimes we make a big mess out of it, but it's worth doing. It's worth doing because God's will for your life and the world will come through it. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord. We give you all the worship and the praise, Lord, that you have called us to be disciples, to follow you, to follow you, Jesus. And Lord God, you did not leave us to just wonder on our own, like, what do I do? How do I do this? But you left a clear roadmap, your very own life, you are the curriculum. Your life is the course that we are called to take. We want to be your disciples, Lord. I pray that would be the desire in our hearts. This is, no questions asked, the greatest opportunity of our lives presented right before us. Nothing will transform us more deeply, more profoundly, more thoroughly than this. Nothing will cause us to have a greater impact in this world. I believe many of us here, we want to make a difference with our lives. Nothing will cause us to make a bigger difference than this, to be your disciples. So, Lord God, help us. Thank you, Father. 
We give you all the glory. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, today is Communion Sunday, so we're going to be taking communion in a moment. But let's just come before the Lord. What we do is every Sunday we respond to the Word of God by just coming to God in prayer. But just for a minute or so, but let's just come before the Lord. And I'm just a messenger. I'm just FedEx. I'm God's delivery boy. But this is coming from the living God. He is inviting everyone here. Come, follow me. Be my disciple. And I said earlier, for some of you, it's time to get up. You've been sitting on that hillside. You love to just listen to teachings and hear some nice things to encourage you. But it's time to get up and follow Jesus. Be his disciple. So let's just come before the Lord. If that's you, let's just openly pray. Just just go to God and say, God, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. And if that's not you, then say, God, help me. Help me to even want this. I'm not sure if I even want this. That's okay. Jesus said, count the cost before you follow me. So count the cost. See if this is worthwhile. But let's just come before him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord God, we just come before you right now and we come in a posture of humility and need because, Lord God, we hear the invitation. It's not confusing. It's clear. But we don't know, Lord. Many of us, we're not sure. Is this really for me? Is this something that I should really give my life to, being your disciple? So, Lord God, I, I pray in, this, in the gentle way you came to the early disciples and you worked with them. You're willing to work with us. Your grace is always at work with us. But please come and work with these people here, these precious people, Lord. I pray that you would work with the hearts of the men and women here and the children. Please draw them to you. Invite them. Let them hear you as they drive on the freeway alone, if they're walking somewhere on a Saturday morning as they lay in bed before night or at night, I pray that you would speak to them, draw them, Lord, as they open up the Bible and read, that you would draw them. Come, follow me, follow me, follow me. Don't miss it. So, Lord God, I pray for that in Jesus' name. We want to follow you as a church. We want to be about making disciples and being disciples. Thank you, Lord. So at this time, we're going to just move into a time of communion. The communion is a command from the Lord Jesus, but he said, I want you to remember, that's the main focus of communion, is he wants to build up our faith by remembering, because he knows how easily we forget. So he said, as often as you do it, remember. Remember what? What I did for you. So Jesus is saying, remember my death on the cross, my shed blood, my broken body for you. Don't forget. So that's the point of communion, is to build up your faith by remembering, okay? So we're going to take communion, but before we do, um, let's spend another brief moment just confessing our sins. You don't need to be perfect, but you need to be right with God to take communion. Again, not perfect, but right with God. Because you don't want to take this saying, yes, Jesus, I believe in you, but be in open rebellion against God. You don't want to be like that. It's rather better to not take it. So let's just come before God, and let's just confess our sins before him. We'll just take a brief moment, and then we're going to take communion together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give you all the worship.
worship you. We thank you, Lord. So, Heavenly Father, we just come before you again, Lord, in humility and need, saying, Lord God, we fall short. Lord God, I fell short even today, coming to church. Maybe it was yesterday, getting ready to come to church. We're going to fall short after church, but Lord God, we fall short. And so, Lord God, please forgive us. Because, Lord God, falling short just means we've sinned. We've broken your commands. We've not followed you the way we should. And so, Lord, forgive us and cleanse us of our sin and unrighteousness and help us to be right with you so that as we take communion, Lord God, you will be pleased that we can have genuine faith in you. So, Lord God, thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you can just take the top tab and open that up, you'll, not the big one, but the, but the thin one, you'll see the cracker underneath. I still have a hard time after all this time. <laughs> All right, okay. Okay, we're going to take the bread together, the cracker together. But wait, I read from Scripture. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Now you can take the packet again and open the bigger tab underneath. And then you'll see the juice. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Thank you, Lord God. So, Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we just thank you so much, Lord Jesus. We give you all the worship and all the glory. Thank you for your sacrifice upon the cross. Thank you for your death and your resurrection. And, Lord God, thank you for this time when we can hear your call afresh to discipleship, to follow you. And thank you for reminding us the basis of discipleship, which is your death and your resurrection. Without your sacrifice, we have no strength. We have no ability to follow you. But because you died and rose again, we have now all power, all strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So we worship you this day. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's close with final worship.